you the quantum mechanics? Yes, we are the quantum mechanics. We're the paranormal podcast that runs a diagnostic on the strange and the unexplained. And hopefully comes back without asking for a massive repair bill for whatever it is that we find. (laughs) Yeah, indeed, indeed. No, we're too good for that. (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely. We've had some cracking reviews this uh, last week. (laughs) What did we we call ourselves on uh, on the one we did about luck? The bronze medalists of the paranormal podcast world. I think we might adopt that one. <laughs> the bronze medalists. Look, I and any standing in the top three, I'm absolutely fine with. We're moving with up. You. We're moving up. I'm, w- I'm with you. So this week, I wanted to. So you know, I have a a fascination with Black Eyed Kids and the Hat Man. Those things yep. have always fascinated me. And um, because, obviously, we're on lockdown and we're beginning now to sort of scrape the barrel of TV and film watching because, yeah, there's not a huge amount of films coming out um, at the moment. And um, I must say on that front, have you noticed that on Netflix, the top 10 is now it's at least two titles that are subtitled, isn't it? Yes. We're basically tra- traving through, like, you know, German, French, wherever we can find a decent story, even if it's subtitled. That's great. That's right. That's right. Well, um, I, when I go on to Amazon Prime Video, because I watch a lot of, you know, some sometimes esoteric and weird stuff, it keeps recommending things that the, the algorithm thinks are in the right space and uh, men in black the will smith film keeps popping up and i realized that there weren't that many if any great documentaries about the real men in black and so today's episode is on the men in black because i find them a fascinating fascinating sort of phenomena and it was only after grabbing some um some more books about the topic and I started realising just how nuts it is. So I think you would probably recognise the men in black as, like, the typical scenario goes, you see one sees a UFO and then starts talking about it and then there's a knock at the door and there's a couple of gents there. Again, long black coats, black suits, fedoras, strangely... Some kind of weird old cars. Yes, a a new looking old car. Yeah, that's. A, I've never been able to get my head around. Maybe we'll talk about that later. But yeah, yeah. They, it's a weird thing, isn't it? Yeah. So they they turn up in um like a seemingly immaculate car that would have been sold forty years ago. Well, they call for are they Galaxia five hundreds? Isn't it? That was the one in the film. That was the one in the film, yeah. But they, um, like, they've been described in various different sorts because it isn't just an American phenomena, as I'm going right. to come, come on to. It's, it's, okay, it's kind of a global thing. Um, but to to sort of kick us off, I found one of, uh, like, Nick Redfern, who is one of my favourite authors, he's written a couple of books on The Men in Black, at least two. And there's one which is called uh, Men in Black, Personal Stories and Eerie Adventures. And I would absolutely recommend it to anybody. It's an absolute bargain. Uh, it's You can get it on 
uh, Kindle. I think it's free if you're part of Kindle Unlimited and it's like less than a tenner in paperback. He's a wonderful writer and always has amazing stories. And so I used this as a bit of a springboard to get me in to some of the topics and sort of um, start with some eyewitness accounts because I realised that probably... The, the what the just the uh, what I just described in terms of the men turning up at your door is probably what everybody thinks, and Imagines, I soon found out yeah. that it isn't like that. Um, so it's probably worth mentioning that the first sort of um, MIB encounter that we sort of find in modern day is by a gentleman called Albert Bender. In uh, in nineteen fifty two, he formed what was the very first civilian ufo club the international flying saucer bureau and he tells that in march 1953 he was approached by three men in black and they came to his house and basically told him to stop doing what he was doing he didn't really give away um exactly what they told him but he was obviously scared because he wound up his institution and there is a book by uh, an author called gray barker it's a fairly famous book if you're into this topic it's called they knew too much about flying saucers uh, by gray barker and this book really is the first time where we get sort of the legend of the men in black Um, that's where like all of the tropes that we see in like uh, films like the men in black and like the x-files they really come from there interestingly in this book he talks about not only did these people entities speak to him telepathically but he also r- reveals that he believed they were from another planet right because it's, it's interesting you say that because i've got I've I've almost got three pictures in my head of what the men in black are. Hmm. There's the, you know, they're a kind of CIA, FBI subgroup who know about UFOs and want to shut people up who want to talk about UFOs. Mm -hmm. There is the one that you're saying. They are some weird kind of alien undercover creatures who you know, come and uh, and contact you. Or the third one is they are people who dispel misinformation about UFOs because they want to hype up the UFO phenomena to cover up other stuff. Mm-hmm. They're my three impressions. And, yeah. and, my, and my kind of looking at it and belief in it almost... It wavers between those three all the time. I can never put my finger on which one I'd come down on, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, I wanted to go through a few example experiences just to show you, like, uh, how this, how it is a phenomena rather than, like, it's not, I don't think, sort of humans who are, you know, dressing in the same way and have a particular passion for low mileage vintage vehicles <laughs> it does appear that there is something more to it than that yeah. but that where what what i just spoke about there the um that book that is published in the 60s so the experiences happen in the 50s book comes out in the 60s but then 
the the first thing that really caught my eye in Nick's book is um, an entry from a blogger called Rich Reynolds, who is a pretty well-known commentator in the UFO community. Um, he writes about all kinds of topics. And he makes this suggestion that perhaps the men in black even go back to biblical times. Ah, okay. So there's a... Uh, you probably most of our listeners will probably have heard of um ancient alien theory and eric von daniken and the, there is a book uh, which was published in 1974 called the spaceships of ezekiel and uh, that's uh, by an author called joseph f blumrick and basically what that talks about is how the encounters in the book of ezekiel in the bible are not encounters with a deity they're encounters with aliens yeah and so what the writer uh, what rich says is that there are passages in the bible so just before it starts talking about these fantastical encounters there is reference to uh, this men uh, this man in white and yeah. Uh, it's said that they will come and avenge abominations in Judah. So Judah is the town um, that this is taking place in. And then there's a story about these six white, uh, six men in white linen appearing at the gates of a city to identify sinners. And what that really talks about, um, that identifying sinners, it's about people who are, in inverted commas, spreading untruths about what is being said here so what he's trying to say is that if these encounters are indeed with alien beings then this is an early example although it's a man in white or men in white it is an attempt by these entities to control the sort of spread of verbal news about these things that are happening so when it says identify the sinners at the gates is the very much the biblical equivalent of you ain't seen nothing, right? Or right, right. what you've seen, it's not what you think it is, it's this. Don't go and write about it in a book that will become the most famous book in the world, or one of the yeah. most famous <laughs> books in the world. <laughs> is that, that what they were saying? <laughs> I, I did wonder while you were talking when they all turned up in white linen. Was it a Don Johnson Miami Vice convention? Uh, no, that particular <laughs> chapter was sponsored by Del Monte. Okay, um, fair enough. But, but I, I, it, it, it seems that, yeah, so though they are in white, what he is saying is you've got an entity here which appears to bear some relevance to uh, the common modern encounters with with men in black and but they were taking the form of a human right yeah were, yeah absolutely there, there was yeah. nothing there was nothing kind of alien or or whatever in their appearance no 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 so so the threat of their appearance comes from um i think the actual words are a uh, a man dressed in fire and and this is why that chapter of the bible is so sort of much spoken about by ufo and ancient alien theorists because the the wording is very strange you know a man in fire that's the literal yeah. translation so it's the man in fire that carries this 
verbal threat of these people turning up and then they do turn up. And so, yeah, that is a weird, a weird thing. But then um, if we come right back to the modern day, so that's where like that could be, that's like almost our dinosaur bone of the very first time that we hear about an entity doing something similar to what these are doing in more contemporary times. Right, okay. Much more up-to-date is an entry from um, another one of my favourite authors, Brad Steiger. He's written 181 books, and probably his most successful one was called Strangers from the Skies, which he released in uh, 1966. And he is a... Uh, a speaker at conventions so you know obviously there's a lot of ufo conventions all over the world particularly in america and you see them advertised you know in in the in the uk you'll get them in the 14 times or whatever and quite often these are now going online they i wouldn't say like they're big business but you get events like contact in the desert which yeah. are becoming you know pretty commercially big and so these speakers they have um, they have a lot of influence and they have a lot to say. But I've heard of of people who've been to see Brad Steiger and he he's apparently fascinating. But what was really interesting is so he he relates two things. The first is how even starting in the sixties he realised that his phone was being tapped and monitored. So he would be picking he would pick up the phone. And he would hear conversations. And this wouldn't, wasn't just in his own house. This was when he was in hotels. So when he's travelling around, he talks about... He, he picks up the phone in his room in the hotel. And back in the 60s, you don't have a direct line out, remember? You, you're going through a hotel switchboard. Yeah. And so it's particularly strange that he hears the very first thing... Um, when he picks up the uh, headset other words has Steiger arrived in town yet and he he in this case jumps into the conversation and says yeah I've just got to my room and <laughs> there's That's an embarrassed great. silence and then he hears two clicks on the line but but this you haven't ha- heard this all right <laughs> yeah that's right but this keeps happening to him again and again on different phone lines in different places and it's a peculiar thing because if they were that if this entity entities were so sophisticated yeah. Why are they allowing him to pick up a crossed line? Particularly, and why are they speaking in English as well? Why are they speaking in English? And it feels like, and this is often speculated on, it's almost like gaslighting. It's yeah. something that is put there, you know, it's it's to scare him. It's to let him know that whatever it is also knows about him. Well. It's either to scare him or to kind of drive him on, depending on his motivations, right? Right, right. If you if you buy into the theory that, you know, it is a way of hyping up the UFO phenomena in order to detract from something else, some people, maybe him, would go, it would give you a sense of importance, wouldn't you? My mission is working, I'm getting somewhere. It could drive you as much to scare you, couldn't it? It could do. Saying. 
Well, this, the second part of Steiger's story is particularly jaw-dropping because I think it also makes it like the t- those two sorts of motivation could could apply here. So okay. he he later on in his career comes across this phenomena of fake Steigers. So he will be speaking at an event and he began to hear from audience members who would come up to him afterwards and say that although they really liked the speech that he'd just done, they were really upset that the last time they'd heard him speak, he'd been berating the audience, for example, for being so stupid as to believe in UFOs. And apparently he would um, have put on this huge um, display and very in-depth presentation, um, which was basically the opposite of what he would ever do in real life. But wow. this this being looked exactly like Brad Steiger. and that people. Was be my question. Yeah, no, he looked exactly the same. And people would say that they'd spoken to him at the event and he spoke like Brad Steiger. And the most, most perplexing thing was later on, after he started to realise that this was a thing and he just had to sort of get on with it and was prepared to explain to people how that Steiger wasn't him, he gets approached by a group of people at a conference he's speaking at afterwards and they want to congratulate him. And what they want to congratulate him for is winning a debate with Carl Sagan. So they all claimed that they had gone to see him live debating Carl Sagan. And he says numerous people told him how great he was. Apparently every time Carl Sagan came up with a, a reason why UFOs didn't exist or why they hadn't visited Earth. Apparently, fake Steiger would jump in with some incredible argument that just shut Carl Sagan up and the whole audience ended up giving him standing ovations and coming up and shaking his hand afterwards. He's never met Carl Sagan. That's the thing. He never even met him. But what's weird about that is this this impersonator, whatever it is, whether it be... Yeah where it's from um so it sounds like there unless i'm getting it wrong it appears at one conference to say you're all nutters for believing in ufos yeah but then appears as an as a, another one as a double arguing against carl sagan in yes. favor of ufos so there's some inconsistency yes in the in the the looky likey's approach also i was thinking if if it was a conference with Carl Sagan, that's quite a big thing. There must be records of that at some level or photographs or... You know what it's like whenever you go to a conference. If, if it's a big one, there's yeah. always somebody snapping and taking photos and, you know, printing up posters saying, hey, we've got Carl Sagan and, you know, this this is our lineup, this is our panel. So there must be yeah. some documented evidence somewhere, I guess. Yeah, you would you would think so. Um uh, Brad has never been able to find any, but yes. Um and and don't forget this is not happening like this is a phase. And this phase doesn't really um it's not it doesn't overlap with the smartphone age. And there's probably yeah. a good reason for that. Yeah. Because any piece of 
evidence would have immediately, you know, it would have destroyed the gaslighting. Yeah, it's quite a bold plan, though, isn't it? It's a very bold plan to to get a looky likey in, and <laughs> I just imagine imagine the looky likey arriving at that one. Going, yeah, no, it'll be fine. Nobody's going to turn up. The guy arrives. They go, oh, yeah, you're on with Carl Sagan today. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. He's <laughs> him on the phone. You just said it was going to be easy. I was just going to talk about UFOs. What the hell do I do? <laughs> well, that, but that's the other thing is, like, he seems to be so well prepared that people are congratulating him for months afterwards. But the, these are very much physical encounters well not even so much encounters they're they are um it's either an audible thing on his telephone or there is an actual entity that is turning up in front of other people but this uh account really made me think well this is very similar to what we were talking about with the hat man so this one comes yeah. from the uk and um the the man who is writing this, this happened to him when he was just 12. And it's in a part of uh, rural Britain. And what he is doing is his best friend has gone away on holiday and he is filling in on his paper round. So he isn't normally up at this time on a weekend morning. Very early in the morning, he's got his newspapers and he's cycling down what he describes as a pretty remote track there's a couple of farmhouses at the end and that's where he's headed to and he's cycling up this sort of gentle incline and he gets this feeling that something isn't quite right and as he comes around a bend and looks up he sees an enormous craft he says it was about a hundred feet long it was just underneath the cloud cover so he could see it clearly and he estimates the size of it by, he said, even at 12, he he held his his hand at arm's length and then put his fingers together so they, they were covering, you know, each end of the craft. And it was 10 centimetres long. So he was like, OK, I've, hard to judge distance, but I'm going to say that's about 100 feet long. So it's this enormous, enormous craft. And he's quite rightly... As I think we all would be terrified and he's thinking to himself just go away just go away just go away he doesn't want anything to do with this it's like completely shaken everything and he wants to turn away and basically just pedal as fast as he can go back home just go back to the kitchen where his, his mum is but he's kind of frozen on the spot and he just keeps watching this craft and eventually it, it drifts away flies away and strangely, he sort of carries on with what he's doing, and but he can't stop thinking about it. And then, then things get really terrifying because he keeps being visited. And at, at the age of twelve, and I get the I get the impression that this is sometime late seventies, early eighties. He right. keeps getting visited by what he describes as two businessmen because that's you know they're dressed like yeah, adults smartly in, dressed yes and they keep warning him about not talking about what he's seen and the craft but the thing is 
this is in his dreams and it isn't just once this is why he's convinced this is not just a made-up phenomena it because it keeps coming back again and again and they are very specific you don't tell your parents you don't tell your friends and it really destroys his life for some time until he starts opening up and talking to others about it. But this, to me, sounds incredibly like the Hat Man. Yeah, I was going to say it does, doesn't it? No, no mention of hats, I assume. In the well, yeah, yeah, they're wearing fedoras. Strangely, really? yeah. Wow, wow. Yeah, yeah. I know. And this is this is the real sort of nub of this. Like, there's a lot of the Men in Black encounters which sound like black-eyed kids. There's a lot which sounds like the Hat Man type of encounters. But there's a lot which absolutely don't. Which, like, it does make you think, is this all one phenomena? Is this perhaps a trickster entity? Is this, you know, just something having a laugh with us. And I'll tell you why I bring up the trickster now, because this is this was um, a really super interesting one. So this is um, just two, two friends, and they've known each other f- for years. And out of the blue, they're just um, hanging out one day. Uh, this elderly man comes up to them and says, can I give you a reading? And he he obviously means a, a, a psychic reading. Your gas meter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so he convinces them to... Uh, so they're, they're with a friend of theirs. They say... The man says to the friend, this is going to get personal, so you should go and sit over there. And then one at a time, he takes each of these people and basically does proceed to tell them about their past and their future some strange things about it though as soon as they sit down and start talking to him they realize he's not quite right his skin isn't quite right nothing it has got that uncanny value about it and they also realize he must be completely blind because his eyes are completely cataracts over and they can't see the, wow. his pupil and they you, they can't make eye contact with him because they can't see where he's looking and yet so sorry can we can we go back a bit cuz yeah. so so that so they're they've not seen anything weird or ufoe at this stage no they no. they're walking is that right they're out they're out yeah yeah they they're, they're out they're just around town up. basically yeah right and then this person thing comes up to them and says can I read your, you know, read yep. your future? Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. Then, then they realise that he is, um, he's not quite right, and he's probably blind. He also is so shockingly accurate with what everything that he says. These two friends don't even discuss what it was that he said to either of them for twelve years because it shook them up so much what he'd said and what they this being also said bearing in mind that he came across as like a 90 year old man he's like chuckling at the fact that they're terrified about how accurate he is and he said oh i i I promise i'll be back in 25 years and uh, you can tell me how accurate it was 
and they're obviously thinking, well, you won't be around then, old man. But he's this guy is very, very uh, insistent that he will be. And and then he just he disappears off, leaving these two people. Now, yeah, they haven't had a UFO interaction. They weren't even talking. They weren't even interested in UFOs. Why? What is the point of Why? this? What on earth is going on? I just had a vision of two other aliens going, where's Zepia gone? Oh, he's gone off again. <laughs> he's gone <laughs> off to talk to people again. I've told him about that. <laughs> oh, he's read- oh, God, he's reading somebody's mind. We're going to have to clean that up. That's going to be a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> well, Space Command, we're going to be in real trouble. But you you see why I say it's a trickster thing. It's like, yeah. what what is the possible use of doing that unless it is just for larks? Messing with someone. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Well, because you can. It's the kind of probably the only answer, right? Well, yeah, that's right, that's right. I mean, the trickster spirit is something which is fairly common in a lot of different cultures, like even Aboriginal culture, talk about the trickster spirits. Yeah. And maybe this and well, we is... talked about that in the Japanese thing last week. That's right. We? Yeah, yeah. The trickster spirits as well. So it could be that this is like a modern incarnation of the trickster spirit. But it, it's also, it's so enigmatic that, like, it, who... Who is it doing this for? Is it his own gratification? I don't know. Here's here's another one well, which what, before you go on to yeah, that, yeah. just just going back just going back a bit so I can get all these these kind of bits of the puzzle in place. So we've got people who've set up a UFO group or someone we've got the UFO group, people impersonating other people. So they're yeah. real life sightings. They're yeah. not paranormal as in you know in your sleep or 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 some kind of weird encounter no no and you've got then you've got that the hat man type ones where the boys kind of visited in his sleep you've got this story of the the spooky fortune teller which feels a bit more classic spirit paranormal rather than alien mm-hmm. or are we yeah. saying there could be an alien i guess there could be an alien connection with all of them yeah well i'll i'll come on to theories in in a okay, bit okay yeah cuz i've got a few bits in my head but i'll save it for now and we'll talk about it after we've heard a bit more then yeah so, i've got a few thoughts running so that this that was obviously a weird encounter um and didn't really seem to have anything to do with ufo's but if we look at um there's another encounter in uh in nick's book and this is from a pretty high profile ufo investigator she's been on um tv and uh, she's a mufon field investigator and she describes this um she's got a new number of different instances but there's one that really stuck out she's in a cafe having lunch with a friend and across the way is a man in black who is obviously observing her and he has a drink in front of him that she says he never touches everyone else is eating food by the way he's only got a drink never touches it and he's making notes he keeps looking up up at her you know catching her eye and then 
it's very clear that he's writing something down. And just before she and her friend get to finishing their meal, so they've, they've come to the end and they're about to get the bill, it's like he knows and he stands up and he walks away, but he does it by walking really close to their table and staring at her, just so it's really clear that he is there to look at her. And the way, where they're at, it's in a cafe, which is uh, part of a shopping centre. And so they're, they're outside. And if you imagine, they're sort of like under a covered area. So there are pillars. And he goes, walks past a pillar and never comes out the other side. And she stands up and runs round to look. And he's just gone. Just completely wow. vanished. And... So, yes, they are corporeal, but they appear to be able to appear and disappear. Well, in this case, disappear completely at will. And this is like with all of the stories that you come across, like I say, the similarities with these other, the black eyed kids and such are so striking. Like there's one brilliant little tale of somebody who invites a uh, um, an MIB in and they're in the, in the middle of dinner and like she doesn't know why but she says you know do you want do you want some pudding with her with us and he says yes I'll have some and um, so she gives him some jelly and he stares at it and then tries to drink it and can't understand what jelly is and that struck I'm me kind of with him on that <laughs> <laughs> well he just like literally never seen it before and right. that goes along with people who say that uh, for example they give them uh, a cup of tea and they don't know what to do with it, to do with it. um and this was there's uh, when when i was covering the black-eyed kids there was one story which I didn't do on the podcast because it was very short, but it um, Nick actually mentions it in his book to draw a comparison with. So um, the basically there is a, a, a tale of a man who is just coming out of the cinema and two black-eyed kids, basically, although he doesn't know they're black-eyed kids at that moment, knock on his window and ask for a ride back to their parents' house because they've forgotten their money. And he says, no, 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 you're not getting in the car, but you can use my phone. And so he unlocks his phone and gives it to this kid. He describes this kid as about 10 and says, look, phone your mother. And um, when I know she's on her way, you know, I'll leave you here. You'll be safe when we've spoken to your mother. And this kid just turns the phone round and round and round in his hands, staring at it like he's never seen a phone before. And the man says, what's the matter? Don't you know your mum's number? And this is the moment, this is the big reveal. He looks up, looks the man dead in the eyes. That's when the man realises, oh, crap, his eyes are completely black. And the kid just goes, yeah, she's six. And he has the fear and leaves his phone there and just drives off leaving those. So it's like this entity has no idea what a phone number is. It's kind of, that, that's the thing. If they kind of, 
if black eyed kids are alien entities, are we saying that's what they look like? Are we saying they are somehow masters of disguising themselves as human? Because it it seems a bit, you know, it seems a bit weird to forget the contact lenses in that scenario. If you mm. see what I mean, yeah. I do. Unless that's what they look like. And you've got to think you're in your Carl Sagan example. It'd be pretty obvious to be up on a stage, wouldn't it, with black eyes? Uh, yeah, it would. It would. But, like, maybe it's... Um, well, I'm not going to just go in, into those theories yet, but what if, what if it is a trickster and... It is um, the it, there are two methods with which it likes to cause tricks, right. or what if it's an artificially intelligent piece of machinery that has been put together by whoever? Let's assume it's an alien race, yeah. and they're two different models. One is the okay. yeah. the, okay. the the kid four thousand that yeah. has yeah. these black eyes and it has those black yeah. eyes because it has the ability to do something which requires that and the men in black are the you know mib 7000s uh, and yeah. they just happen to smell funny and not understand jelly it could <laughs> it could be that all right that's a good shout that is a good shout I'll, I'll i'll buy that or you know they just let you see what you want to see yeah you know what i mean that's right but, but you know no, you might as well see my black eyes because that's part of the trickster bit i'm scaring you at this yes point. yes that's exactly that's exactly what i mean but like there's um there's a part of me which likes the artificial intelligence thing because one of the things about artificial intelligence which has been plaguing developers it of it for ages is this thing uh that's called the frame reference problem and that is that um our world is so complicated you have to there are so many things that an artificially intelligent being would have to know about to be able to operate as like a a, a self-governing sentient being that you 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 wonder how you would teach it those things and how long it would take for it to learn so for example you have to at its base level to to boil an egg you have to first explain to it how the fragility of an egg what um uh what it means to put an egg in liquid and what temperature that liquid has to be then the interaction between the fragile eggshell and the hard egg cup and the fact that that can be suspended on a table and the fact that you put things on a table, not a chair or the stairs and the reasons yeah. for that. And then your frame of reference, just from boiling an egg, suddenly you're, you know, you have to go into the human convention of what a table looks like. Well, it, yeah. and then you have to explain what a table is. Is a table, can a log be a table? Yeah, but humans don't think of logs as tables. Like That's why it makes sense to me that a man in, man in black, you, you know, the, just the AI would never have learned about jelly. So it's outside of its frame of reference. You'd go to blend in, like hold a cup of tea. Got it, just hold it, fine. I'll do that to blend in. Want yeah, some jelly? Okay. Uh, yeah, all right then. I don't know what this is. You know, it, it makes sense. Now, it's, it's interesting. You may come onto this anyway, but 
it's interesting your AI and um, computer uh, thinking because I've just written down on my notepad how do the greys fit into this but then that would make sense so I, when you first started talking I thought well if these are the aliens and they're able to disguise themselves then greys wouldn't exist right but if they are AIs and the greys are in control of them that would make sense mm-hmm. yeah Yes, or the greys are another sort of AI. Yep, yep. Okay, so let's have a look at some of the more sort of famous uh, paranormal cases that I didn't realise had men in black involved with them, but actually do and have very credible um, sightings. And there's even one with a photograph. But we'll start with uh, somebody investigating the case of Betty and Barney Hill. So let me... I'll just for the audience's sake and, and just to ref, refresh our memories, uh, I'll just read basically the wiki entry because it's nice and short. So Barney and Betty Hill were an American couple who claimed that they were abducted by extraterrestrials in a rural portion of the state of New Hampshire uh, from September 19th to 20th in 1961. It was first widely publicised. It's the first widely publicised report of, alien, of an alien abduction in the United States. That's, that's right. kind of it, isn't it? Yep. Two yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and it did spawn a film and a book and various other bits and pieces. So there was um, a book, I think, uh, yeah, The Interrupted Journey, and there was a television movie, The UFO Incident, sort of preceding like Fire in the Sky by about 15 years, which is obviously the Travis Walton case. Yeah. Um, it's kind of known as the Hill abduction, isn't it? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> um, of their so, names, not because they were on a hill. No, that's... <laughs> no, they, they accidentally took a hill with them. Um, well, anyway, there is... Uh, this actually happens after um, Barney has died. Uh, I should make that clear. There's a, there's a UFO researcher called Dr. Herbert Hopkins, and he is a general UFO researcher. And he gets a call from somebody who claims to be an activist in the UFO community asking if he can visit Herbert to talk about the Betty and Barney Hill case. And basically, her, um, Hopkins is thinking, well, this could be interesting. He might have some more information he could share with me. So yeah. they, they meet up. And... Uh, as soon as they get there, as soon as they uh, encounter each other, this peculiar man in black, man in black, and he he's by himself, typical attire, fedora, black suit, the whole thing. Um, he tells Hopkins that he's got two coins in his pocket. So he says to Hopkins, you have two coins in your pocket, which is correct. And he asks him to remove one. And so Hopkins complies and he takes the coin out of his pocket. It's a shiny new penny and he puts it in the palm of his hand. And this MIB says to Hopkins, watch the coin closely. And after a few minutes, this coin takes on what he describes as a silvery appearance and then appears to like go out of focus and fade away. And it eventually has disappeared altogether after a few more moments. And the MIB informs Hopkins that the coin would never be seen on this plane again. 
Those are the exact words that he uses. And he then goes on to pick up on the um, Barney Hill abduction and asks Hopkins how familiar he is with it. And Hopkins says, well, yes, I've, I've heard of Hill. Um, I'm going into um, some details of the case now. Um, and I was under the impression that he died in like the not-too-distant past. And the MIB says to Hopkins, yes, that is correct. Barney didn't have a heart, says the MIB, just like you no longer have a coin. And then the MIB gently suggested to Hopkins that he destroy any material that he had related to the uh, Betty and Barney Hill case and then leaves him. Now, that's quite, wow. That's quite sinister, isn't it? Um, Yeah, because it's that that showing your mm. power in quite a subtle way. It's very gangster-like, that, isn't it? It's very gangster-like. You're not overplaying your hand. You're showing by the disappearing coin that you've got, you know, you're showing enough by the disappearing coin and then putting the threat in. That's right. Wow. That's right. It, Although it did remind me when I send my teenager off to the corner shop with a £10 note, <laughs> it, yeah, that's never seen on this plane again. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe she has peculiar disappearing powers. powers. Yeah. Well, um, that is quite sinister, I must say. You would be... So did he do it? Did he destroy all his stuff? Yeah, he did. Um, wow, yeah, he on, really about that did. case, yeah. But it, it, I should also point out that the official explanation for Barney's death is cerebral hemorrhage, not lack right. of heart. So, um, I mean, who knows? But Could have been a yeah. metaphor. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, could, could be. Or, like, I assume if the MIBs are that powerful, they're not going to slip up by... <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. We've magicked his heart away. Just let him go to the coroner's yeah. office and they can write what they want. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. Um, wow. I wasn't expecting this one. If, if you've come across the Solway Firth spaceman, haven't you? Do you yes. know that yeah, picture? Yeah. yeah. So yes. for anybody yeah. that wasn't does... that to be... Yeah. That was proved to be a fake, though. Or not a fake, an accident. An accident, right? yeah, that's right. So, it, But it caused quite a uh, a kerfuffle when... Uh, the, the, so the photographer is Jim Templeton, and he is in the Solway Firth having a picnic with his daughter, his, you know, young daughter, and his wife. And he has this picture, which is he's taken of his daughter. And in the background, it does look like there is sort of like... Um, a spaceman, really. That's yeah. that's why it's called the Solway Firth Spaceman, and, and, it, and it's quite a stere- It's a kind of stereotypical one. It's not particularly, you know, it, it doesn't look completely out of place for the time. If that makes sense. Yeah, it, it's kind of like by spaceman we mean it's almost like it's wearing a you know space helmet, and it's it's a bit B movie, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like um, what you would expect a human to dress in in the sixties to go into space. It's not like um, a little green alien or anything. Yeah, and we will um, uh, basically photos, links to these books that Ben's talking about. These photos will all be in um, our Facebook photo album. So if you go to at TQM podcast, 
Uh, you'll be able to see them all while you're listening to the podcast. We'll also put it in the description of the episode, uh, but cut and paste it rather than click on it because you'll leave the podcast, which we don't like. Yeah. Um, but, well, <laughs> but yes, you're quite right in that. Right to, at this time in history, um, which is a very awkward way of saying today, we believe that the image itself was actually an accidental photograph of the back of mrs templeton's head and it's just the way that the camera processes um, her headscarf and um, the outfit that she was wearing that day it just happens to look really really peculiar and like a spaceman but it's an optical illusion basically it's an optical illusion that's right and we know that now by sort of modern um, computer enhancement techniques but back in the 70s this was like big news it was it made front pages of um newspapers and and everything and when it went public jim got a a visit from two men who called themselves government agents and they called themselves number nine and number ten and they demanded to see the site of the photo and question templeton about the event and when Templeton's told them that he didn't see the figure personally, the men became angry, stormed out of the field, and were never seen again. <laughs> I mean, it's funny though that that example though, while you're talking about it, did kind of click to me the theory that the men in black are actually uh, a, a, a distraction from the UFO thing. That they're they're just normal agents let's say who are trying to hype up the ufo phenomenon for their own purposes and to cause confusion because it's almost like if you go with that theory for a second you're part of that unit and your job is to spread spread disinformation and really get yourself ingrained in the ufo community and get them hyped up about stuff uh which isn't true let's say if we go with it that actually when you hear about this photo, you know, it's almost like a little flag goes up. You've got to go and see this guy who's kind of talking about this photo and scare him. And, you know, it's only later way down the line that we find out that that photo is just an optical illusion and it's probably not the best one they should have picked on. Maybe that's why they never came back. Mm, mm. Yeah, that, do I you, think... Do you see where I'm going with that I do. Logic? I do see exactly where you're going, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it helps... Um, it it would add fuel to the fire if you've got a decent story that you can amplify. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, years later, we find out that that photo isn't quite what everybody thought it was, but that they wouldn't have known that at the time. So it's like, send the agents out, see if we can hype this one up. Right. It's going to yeah, be hard yeah. to disprove and people are believing it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get you. Well, and, and I always remember, sorry, this is slightly aside, no, no. but um, I can't remember the name of the documentary, but there was a documentary on Area 51 from, not from a UFO perspective, but from them testing military aircraft and, you know, secret developments and stuff and hiding them from the Russians. And I always remember there was a great story about somebody who worked at Area 51 and his wife thought he was uh, a vacuum cleaner salesman, but he was actually a test pilot. 
<laughs> and wow and he crashed one day he had this crash and the military started to think well is is he being blackmailed or bribed or has he done it deliberately because he's somehow uh in league with the russians so they took him into a room at the airbase and they gave him a kind of truth drug and at the end of you know a four or five hour interrogation they were convinced he just crashed the plane it wasn't anything you know there was no suspicion about him so they dropped him off at home of course he's still kind of reeling from the effects of the drug <laughs> his wife thought he'd been out boozing or, or oh, maybe no. or maybe even see was seeing another woman and he'd come back completely drunk because she thinks he's a he's a vacuum cleaner salesman right, right? yeah yeah and apparently, because I saw him interviewed, and he said, "Oh, my wife just gave me grief for days on end, and I couldn't tell her that my what my day had actually um, been like was I'd crashed a plane that was flying at kind of supersonic speeds and had to eject out of it, which is physically stressful enough. I'd then dragged into a room, <laughs> uh, forcibly injected with a truth serum, and interrogated for five hours." and then just dropped off on my doorstep. <laughs> it doesn't really happen to a vacuum cleaner salesman, oh right? God. So he must have told her in the end, like years later, right? Years later, yeah, where it was all, I think it was all declassified and stuff like that. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, but that was Area 51, do you know what I mean? So the people that were interviewed there at Area 51, they would say this if you're a UFO people, said, no, it's just, you know, we were developing top secret aircraft and everybody had cover stories i mean this guy's wife didn't know that he was flying these planes she thought he was a, a vacuum cleaner salesman that sucks <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> wow that's so oh god that would that i his marriage could easily have died after that couldn't it yeah, but there was a, there was a whole thing. I, I wish I could find remember the name, but um, there was a whole thing in the documentary about how they recruited people for those roles. That you know they did in, intensive personality tests that you had to be, you know, uh, very conservative with a small C. You know, very very kind of trustworthy, really passionate believers uh in in the U united states uh as a country you know patriotic basically you have to be incredibly patriotic incredibly loyal uh and in a certain type of character to even be recruited to work there because they knew that you'd have to be able to pull off the lie even to your you know your loved ones basically mm. wow that's really interesting I think like that made me like may, we'll do deal with this another time. But there was, um, uh, I believe that that is one of the reasons why um, Bob Lazar uh, came out because he there was, if I recall, he his handlers or his bosses at the base realized that his wife was having an affair and right there was some reason why they were worried that that would cause a security risk. I remember him talking about that in the film. 
But yeah, and there, I, I don't know if it's that the the I know that it's the it's called Bob Lazar, isn't it? That film. Yeah, I don't yeah. Know if it was Bob that Lazar, Alien Fifty One, and UFOs. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it was in that film, but that has been put forward as uh, people trying to debunk Bob Lazar by saying, "Look, he is not the kind of person that they would have ever recruited for a secret, you know, uh, organization within the United States." You know, he was he was into gambling and all this that he he doesn't fit the profile of who they would have recruited now i guess the counter argument is he had unique skills that they couldn't get anywhere else so they had to take a risk but you know that that has been put as an argument that he he ha- he didn't have the personality to pass what they needed because it's such a narrow niche of people who fit that profile i see yeah okay hmm Okay, well, we will come back to Bob because he's a fascinating... Yeah, we've got, off, we've got off on a bit of a tangent, but it just made me think of, you know, if we if we go with the theory, we'll go back to the kind of alien theory in a minute because there's more I'd, that you've got to say on it and I'd like to ask on it. But if you go with the one that the men in black are purely a government disinformation service to detract from something else i think you know the point about the photograph that we talked about is that would be a little flag that goes up and go oh here's a good opportunity for us to sow some mischief maybe Mm. yeah i agree okay i see where you're coming from well this this last case i have for you is the one i chose this because this does have a photograph um which uh I will well I'll send I'll send it to you afterwards but basically yep there is um a UFO researcher Jack Robinson and his wife Mary they talk about um they were getting as the more that they investigated alien uh, and UFO related topics they were getting more and more peculiar things happening to them and again we're talking about gaslighting type of things so they would find that their house had been rummaged around in their ufo files had been disturbed and mary began to notice a strange man in a black suit with a hat staring up at their apartment from the doorway and she mentioned this activity to a friend of hers and he also is a fairly big name on the scene tim uh, timothy green beckley um probably a lot of our listeners will have come across his books and timothy managed to get a photograph of this man and it is believed to be one of the only pieces of actual ironclad proof that these um beings exist um let me see is it the one where it's a guy standing in a doorway Yes, with a car yes. to his yes, right. Yeah, with yes, a, yeah, yeah, with like a pickup, real old school pickup. Yeah, isn't it? that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that is kind of fascinating because, like you said, we lack any evidence beyond eyewitness apart from apart from this. And it's hard. Like, yes, of course, it's possible that there might have just been like a businessman type person there. You know, perhaps sheltering because it looked like it was about to rain trying to light a cigarette or something but these people are you know they're respected ufo researchers and such they're not 
they're not liars. They're not just going to take a photo of a, a random person for no good reason. And, yeah. and I think that is fascinating. And, and when I saw that, um, I think, you know, we both like listening to, there's a, um, a British broadcaster called Howard Hughes, not that one, but um, he presents a show on British radio and he has a podcast called The Unexplained. And he has mentioned several times, he's told the story of when he was leaving his radio station some years ago with his producer, having just done a program that featured um, discussion on UFO topics. As he walked past the front of the radio station late at night, there is an old car, an old Jaguar parked there, two men dressed in black suits, ostentatiously taking pictures of him with a camera and like so he says like that was that was my encounter with uh, the british men in black what why they would need to take photographs of a radio presenter who is on the radio who has publicity photos and you know where he is every night because he's on the radio is really strange and again it just comes down to like this gaslighting we know you're here we can do it intimidation yeah intimidation exactly but you mentioned the car yeah so we are we saying that both in the uk and in america that these men in black are in old cars or is was yeah that's right that no that's right they are and um is there any theory to why that would be because again it seems like you would draw attention to yourself in a classic car rather mm-hmm. than blend in with a kind of nice Ford Mondeo or something. Right. No. But the strange thing about them is, so, well, there are various strange things about them. Um, they are, they're country specific. So in this country, it tends to be yeah. old Rovers, old Jaguars in the States, right. you know, similarly local car brands which is peculiar in itself. These cars also appear to be able to appear and disappear at will alongside the people who are in them. So people have described them driving off down the road and them sort of disappearing. So one good example was um, uh, a case where these two uh, men in black arrive at a house. This is in the UK which is up a gravel drive and they don't hear the car drive up the gravel drive. But when they open the door, the two men are standing there and they can clearly see there's a car behind them. And then when they say goodbye, shut the door, look out the window, the car's gone and it has, it can't have driven off because there wasn't enough time, but the car has vanished and there are no track marks on the gravel from where the car was. And then, um, and I've got a theory. Yeah. Do you, want, do you want to hear my theory on the cars? Yeah. So if, if you go with your alien thing, right? Mm. So they do, first time they came, they did a recce, right? Mm-hmm. So they, they arrived, they looked at what everybody was driving and thought, oh, we need to have our own vehicles, but we'll create those and bring them with us. Maybe it took them about 15, 20 years to travel there and back. So they come back with these rovers and these 
you know, these old American cars, not really thinking about or not being able to predict which way that car design is going to go. So they'll still roughly fit in, but, you know, they've, they've almost built them and brought them with us, but because of the nature of time, it's that was 20 years ago. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. I hadn't thought of that. When you start describing it like that, also there's um, it's kind of similar to Doctor Who, like yeah, the TARDIS being an old-fashioned police box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Though there is also another interesting thing about the cars. So one researcher who who is talking in the books. I was just reading their account, and the one thing that really stuck out was so they start seeing that they are being followed by this particular car containing men in black. It's a particular model. And so they start telling people, oh, if you you should look out for this particular model of car because it's been following me around. They know this and change the car. So the next time they see these men, they're in a completely different car and they never see that original one again. It's like they knew. It's still an old one. Yes, it's still an old one. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's like they've ditched that one. Like, f- again, trickster. <laughs> well, the first, or the first one was an Alfa Romeo. <laughs> oh, Christ. <laughs> Just broke down. <laughs> it's in the garage. <laughs> oh, Lord. Well, it, so in, in terms of like what they are, I think we've we've spoken about AI and aliens. The, the, the other theory that... Um, comes up in nick's book which i think is possibly the most the weirdest one is that these are so somebody puts forward this theory they are biological they're engineered biological entities so somebody has created like these empty vessels and and this is where you do have to kind of go with it for a moment they are then reanimated by tempting demons into them. And <laughs> okay. and then and then the demons can then control this biological sort of uh vehicle if you like and um and then become sentient beings on earth. Now, why why, why they would do that, I don't know. I I do know that you know sometimes people believe that these are um sort of uh i i hate to use the word satanic beings but they they feel like these are demonic um kind of entities and i get that but for me that sort of comes a bit from a theological background of thinking that i think and i'm not criticizing anyone for thinking that way but i do i don't think it's necessarily helpful to put things into the context of like that that particular christian output because it, it i think it might sort of overshadow what these things really are i think if that's your personal belief then sure but i but it confuses really, the issue it does confuse the issue yeah because then you get into the point of like well if they're demons i mean they're not particularly they're not like two d de- if you look back at one of those stories two demons come and ask a man about a picture he took of his daughter and a spaceman the man goes, no, I didn't see it. And they lose and they their go. shit and run out of the field. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't help feeling that Lucifer wouldn't have gained 
the edge in the Catholic Church that he <laughs> appears to have done if he just yeah. threw a strop and ran out of a field. Yeah. So well, uh, yeah. well, we've not well, we've not talked about today. So we've kind of. I mean, for me, we've really focused on two... Th- I like your AI idea that there's some kind of alien AI. There's a lot that makes sense and explains some of the more mysterious parts of of what they could be. Uh, then there's the, no, they're just a government agency that's there to spread disinformation and hype up the UFO phenomena for their own interests Mm. because either it doesn't exist or it mildly exists and they're trying to confuse things we've not really uh talked about that they there is a government agency that's keeping ufos secret and they are just threatening people who they believe know ufos that that angle we haven't really covered is that because there's not much it seems like the other two scenarios are the ones that get the most traction. I was curious to why that was, really. Well, well I think it's because um, what these entities do would be impossible for a government agency to do. Yeah, but if you look at it from a... Uh, maybe not, but if you look at it... Maybe this is not a right statement, but from what the tropes of what you see in movies and stuff like that, it's always the you know they're always the bad humans who know what's going on and they're trying to stop us the public knowing what the truth is yeah or it's that they tend to lean more that way than any of the two that we've just talked about today really well that that's true but if you look at like so just to use a film metaphor if you look at the film the men in black where they are pitched as um, the people who are defending humanity, to give them, to give those characters the ability to do some of the things that men in black in the real world do, to sort of give the characters some life in that fictional world, they have to have fantastical um, inventions, you know, beyond like James alien Bond. Tech. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to be able to make those things happen, because. You can't unless you unless we consider that this is a government agency that has technology which is so advanced it is like magic and has had it for some considerable time. Yeah. Then you can't make coins disappear out of people's hands. <clears throat> you can't disappear when you walk behind a pillar, and you also can't listen in to people's own conversations in between friends that are happening off telephones off electronic devices you know in their own living room and you also like a lot of these cases don't forget the ones which are kind of you know dull that um i've only sort of picked up on the ones which are kind of the most fanciful and out there but like nine times out of ten the typical cases are man or woman person sees ufo doesn't tell anyone about it just goes home goes to bed there's a knock on the door man in black don't tell anyone about the the ufo that you saw it was a secret government thing you shouldn't mention it like how do they know like how could they possibly know that they'd seen it Mm. i think we've covered the more interesting angles today you know the fact that it's some kind of alien 
either creation or life that is you know here and is just trying to manage the message in some mm, way mm. or that it is some kind of spurious government plots to show or spread disinformation either because for their own ends a bit like the star wars project and reagan and you know with russia or it's a disinformation of either these things don't exist or they do exist mm-hmm. and I, I i don't know i just i i flip all the time i flip between those two i can never i would never put my neck out and say oh it's that it's that i just i don't feel confident enough no no i i don't you if you know i know i think i think it's too enigmatic but like i think the reason i kept drawing similarities between black eyed kids um and particularly like lesser so the hat man but the black eyed kids is the more the more i thought about it and the more reports i read it keeps it it suggests to me everything that other cultures say about the trickster spirits is what these things these things are right. that is how that's how they appear to be it's very hard to find an actual incidence like when when you ask me on the black eyed kids episode what happens if you let them in and like yes there are a couple of people who claim to have let them in and bad things happened but they didn't they didn't die and what we can't rule out is if you let them in do, you know do you die and then you never we never hear about it you know and it, yeah. it might be the same thing with 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 um the men in black it could be that bad things do happen to people caused by the men in black but be, be, but because of the nature of the phenomena we'll never know these people are just missing people or they die of a brain hemorrhage or something like that something which isn't attributable to that particular um sort of uh, entity but from all these stories as threatening as they are they never turn up you know with a knife and threaten to chop your head off or stab you or abduct your dog or kill your child they don't do any of those things they're, th- they're very they're very don corleone aren't they yeah yeah but they they never actually cause anyone physical harm there is not yeah. one account that i have well not that i've found anywhere and i've you know read a few books on this subject they've never come around and gone you know i'm gonna i'm gonna shoot you through the kneecaps if you tell anyone about that ufo they just say yeah. it would be much better for you if you don't and the fear that people feel tends to be enough they fear that it, something it, is going to happen and when we talked about the black eyed kids there was that there was that thread that there was an underlying fear that people couldn't put their fingers on yes yes is this that the menace. same with the men in black yes 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 yeah. and and a lot of that comes not just from the fact that it's an unusual situation having these people turning up out of the blue to ask you things that you didn't think anyone knew about but it's this um i mentioned that word before that uncanny valley it's like somebody described them as not having skin pores like their skin was completely smooth like rubber um there was another report when um this uh black-eyed kid tur- uh, sorry men in black turned around to leave the door he had wires coming out from under his skull 
and you just think well like it is terrifying it's a bit like um you know those uh when you get uh, say a robot that looks far too human yeah. it's scary like um back in the day there used to be like when we were when we were kids growing up there used to be a, a man who dressed up like a robot with a white face and used to dance on top of the pops and other things do you remember he used to do robot dancing yeah. and he had like flashing lights on his head yeah, yeah. and that was terrifying because it's like a it's like a humanoid robot without a face and i feel like it's that same thing here it's like a it's like it's like a doctor who monster it's like this thing yeah. because it's not human in the back of your like old-fashioned monkey lizard brain you go this is an unpredictable thing it could do mm. anything to me and that's without it you know attributing it any supernatural powers um and you're right that is the fear the, the that is actually the running thread between the black-eyed kids the hat man and the men in black is this underlying threat and terror that something terrible is going to go wrong even either it because you don't obey them or because you're going to let them in you know yeah yeah that's interesting isn't it it's it's that I think that concept of uh, fear is is I think that's quite interesting. That if you see something that is kind of human, but they're like you say the skin pores or something like that, it, it's somehow scarier than if it's so weird. Like we like the other week on the Japanese thing, we talked about the Kara Kazakosa, the umbrella. Yeah, yeah. You know, with a tongue and a, you know, if you saw that, we, I mean, even the way we dealt with it is like it's funny because it's like you would, you just can't relate to that being scary. But somebody who's who looks like they've got rubber skin, that's more terrifying. Your man on top of the pops. That well, we have to have that frame of reference for us to be scared. Well, another good frame of reference. Um, you remember in um, a great film, Terminator Two, to yeah. When they go, when Arnie takes them to go and meet the man who builds Skynet, to get his attention, he proves he's not human by ripping the skin off his arm. Yeah. And the filmmaker is right. Arnie isn't particularly terrifying if he's just a human. If this person can't be convinced that he is this machine from the future, he 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 becomes less of a threat as soon as he realizes he is this other thing it's not just the fact that he's terrified because he's a invincible killing machine from the future that is obviously part of it but the other part is oh this isn't a human at all and i feel like that is it's that same level of of fear with this it's like if you're not human what actually are you wow scary stuff wow so very interesting. Yeah, I'd be, be very, very interested if anybody has any theories or has even come across one. Um, yeah. Or maybe has seen one or their friends have seen one. Um, because, like, they appear to be, like, as I say, international. One thing I would love to know is um, whether this exists in cultures that are very different from ours. So, yeah. In yeah. China, for example, do you get men in black in China? Yeah, yeah. Um, that would what, be... What form, yeah. Yeah. And um, 
even more. Well, that would help with the UFO and alien connection as well. If if there are examples in multiple cultures that do connect to UFO activity or alien life, that's that's quite interesting. Rather than you know their generic or, or wider spirits or entities or demons. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and whether again they become culturally appropriated into that area like this might sound like a glib question but if you're if you live in venice does a man in black turn up in a boat you know be a bloody old one though yeah yeah it would <laughs> but like does that continue yeah, like, I like that. it's a it's an interesting thought yeah. love it well if you've got anybody out there's got any opinions and uh other theories or like Ben said has seen one let us know marvellous well I excellent I hope that in some ways you haven't but for the case you know thinking about the editorial of our show I really hope you have <laughs> right I gotta go now Ben there's a guy in a fedora at the door oh he's probably just <laughs> selling them you'll be fine <laughs> alright we'll see you next time on the Quantum Mechanics <laughs> see you next time the quantum mechanics.